Welcome to the NAFCOM podcast. This is part three of a four-part series with Cabrina Bass and DG Vaughn discussing community mediation and how it impacts community systems. I do want to recognize and thank the Trust Network for giving us this opportunity to have this platform, in particular the leaders, both Prabha and Joe, who are with us here today, that have helped pull this together, and Sunita, who made sure I knew know how to work a slideshow. So this is all wonderful and great. And uh, Ben, somewhere in the background. So couldn't do without an amazing, amazing team and the amazing Trust Network. So if you're here and you're not a part of the Trust Network, please consider joining. Uh, it's, a, it's an amazing group of people who are really coming together, not only focused on early warning and early response, but also focused on community and social cohesion and structure, uh, infrastructure security. So please think about joining the Trust Network. And with that, uh, I have with me Cabrina Bass. Cabrina Bass is the Executive Director of Midlands Mediation Center in Columbia, South Carolina. She uh, is part of the NAFCOM family, both through her membership as a center, as well as serves with us on the NAFCOM Board of Directors. And I am DG Mon, the president of the National Association for Mediation. And we're going to try to address uh, these two directions when, uh, as another pause in our presentation. The, so the community-focused part, the movement was largely a response to the systemic structures that marginalized and disenfranchised community members from full community and societal participation. Emerging in the early 1970s were these centers that took them very strongly on. Two of them most well-known in the literature is the one in Philadelphia and the one in San Francisco. The one in San Francisco is still fully operating. The one in Rochester also did that, and they're fully operating, and really came out of a sense of the courts are the courts, but we need to figure out what's going on in the communities. And these are the things that they are recorded as being focused on and doing. They offered an opportunity to participate in prevention and early intervention of conflicts as an alternative to institutional mechanisms. They held space for democratic participation, drawing on individual rights and duties and the involvement of networks of community organizations. They facilitated the decentralization of the control of decision-making in communities, that the courts can do what the courts wish to do, we're gonna do what the people need to do to help be able to co-create and live together. They facilitated this decentralization of the control of the decision-making in communities. They, were they actually became parallel community-based justice systems that addressed disputes well before they entered any legal system. So the legal system in those com communities became only if this did not work, not as an option, an alternative to what the judicial system offered. A key for those initial centers is it had to develop indigenous community leadership. Indigenous at the time meant that the people lived, worked in those communities that were holding the space for this. It was not people coming from other parts of town or other counties or other cities coming in. The work was to reduce community tensions by strengthening the capacity of neighbors, church, civic, school, and social service organizations to address conflict. 
It strengthened the ability of individuals to actively participate in their local democratic processes for effective self-government. So while many of the boards did as Karina just described, the justice center work, we're gonna make sure there's access to the courthouse is as many no, in 1964, and it may be somewhat true today, access to the courthouse had to deal with how many Benjamins you had, how much money you had, and in many parts of our country, it had to do were you white or not white, were you male or not male to get into the courthouse. That was significant work then, it's significant work today. Also, then and today, there was many issues right in the community itself that is going on and institutions that serve the community itself that are not serving the whole community, but only a small part of the community. That was true then, that is true today. And so these centers really took on that part of the work, that part of the effort. And I'm gonna again, ask Sabrina Bass to talk a bit about what her center is doing around the community part of our efforts. Around the community part, during the election time frame, uh, what we notice is this low participation. And I, I can honestly say in uh, the area that I'm in, we had a runoff election for a major council seat. And the turnout uh, during the general primary was, was good because everybody was in the race. But when it came time for the runoff, uh, a county uh, area, a seat with 30,000 people only 1,900 people showed up to vote in the runoff. And I was like, wow, because for me, that's not a, a people problem. That's a process problem. Why only 1,900 people showed up? Uh, after the runoff, uh, the person that won the race died two months later. So they had to be a new election for the position. This time, I was intentional to make sure I shared the news that there's a runoff election and we need to go vote, vote, vote. Uh, there were additional candidates added to the ballot. Uh, there were five people on there. And once again, the voter turnout was 1,100 people. And I'm saying something is wrong. There are 30,000 people here that could vote and only 1,100 are coming. They ended up with two candidates that had to run off again. So this is the fourth runoff for this elected a seat. The person who won the seat won with 630 votes. Out of 30,000 people, 600 people decided on the person that would represent our county, our seat in the county. And I was like, something is wrong. So I went to the election commission because I'm trying to figure out what is it that keeps people from turning out. One, Nobody communicates to the public where and when the runoff election is going to occur. The only way you can find out where runoff is going to occur is through the newspaper. And I don't know how many of you all still subscribe to the newspaper that you would know when a runoff election would be. No one shares information about who's on the ballot. So a popular sounding name gets the votes to the people because they really don't know who's on the ballot. So they just vote for a name because there's nobody communicating who is running on the ballot. And the only way you find for a local election who's on the ballot may be Facebook, maybe the party in which they're running for, but there's no general place where all this information is found. The other thing is what polling site will be open for the election? 
I think that should be public knowledge, but it's not. And so our center began to really try to work with other groups to try to get the word out um, and try to increase voter turnout and participation. So we partnered with the election commission for the county. We partnered with grassroots organization. We partnered with local churches. We started holding sessions with people to tell them who's on your ballot, uh, who's representing what, where are the polling places going to be located. We flooded the churches. We flooded community centers. We flooded everybody with flyers of where the polling sites would be. And I know this 2020 was an unprecedented election period and turnout was great, but I can tell you turnout in Richland County was extremely great. One thing was the absentee ballot. They were saying how many absentee ballot came back in error, right? Because people weren't filling them out correctly. My question, how do they know how to fill them out? Nobody knew how they would know how to fill them out. So we, the Midlands Mediation Center, created a video for the absentee ballot, produced it through the newspaper, had it on the local TV station, showed it in social media to improve the ballot accuracy when they did absentee ballot. And they had less incorrect ballots this election cycle than they had ever had. And we were commended for our work in working with the community to try to help people, one, know how to vote, two, know when to vote, three, know where to vote, and to be informed voters. And it wasn't about registering. It was about educating. And we also did a workshop through NAFCAM about how community mediation centers could help people be informed about voting. So that's the work we did as it relates to helping our community identify an issue and working collaboratively together to address an issue that would bring about systemic change in our community. And we're not stopping. We're still working with the election community, uh, commission to create public forums to talk about voting, to talk about how to better inform our community, how to help our community know who's on the ballot, and how to help candidates reach more people so that everybody will know who is on the ballot and what they represent. Thank you, DG, for the time to share. That concludes part three of the SNAFCOM podcast series. We hope you'll join us for part four of the series, which covers the history of the National Association for Community Mediation. Thank you for listening. Full of the hope that the present has brought.